If you're strong, you can fly. You can reach the other side of the podcast. It's alright, sit and chill. There's an hour left to fill, and we gotta go fast. That's what so makes sense. GHC, GHC, GH. Say your nuts and train no drinkers. GHC, GHC, GH. The arrests and overthinkers. GHC, GHC. Spinning through this crazy fandom. GHC, GHC, GHC. Welcome back to the GHZ, a Sonic the Hedgehog podcast. We're so happy you're here. I am one of your four co-hosts. Knock, knock, it's Nathan. Hello, it's Joshy P. Um, I'm one of the other ones, the hosts, that is. Uh, And this is the GHZ podcast, or the GHZ podcast, as I'm desperately, desperately trying to get them to uh, change the spelling on uh, on the website there. And we're here to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog, as per usual. That's what we do here. We do it once a week, and we do it for your listening pleasure. Why, hello there. Nice to hear from you again, or nice to talk to you again. I'm a Grant, and I'm here to say (laughs) that uh, you can join us in any old way. If you uh, look into the episode descriptions and see the Discord, why, come on out and hang out with us. Why don't you uh, come talk some Sonic with us as well? It's It's a grand old time. And I'm Lee, the podcast mascot. I may remind you of Harrow from Mobile Suit Gundam. I'm here to tell you to remember to subscribe. You can rate us, you can review us, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you want. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. We're at GHZ Podcast or we're at GHZ Podcast for the Americans. Yep. We've um, we've had some good tweets recently. Um, we actually got a hashtag trending. We got... No, get out of here. Make ninety a cannon ship that got trending. <laughs> yeah, um, Stonewall retweeted it. So you know we're doing good in the world. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't use the word heroes to describe us. You know that's for the people to decide. I have noticed the phrase uh, king shit being thrown around quite a lot. I think that's a good thing, probably. Yeah, it's, yeah. We all love you, Josh. We all love you. Well, I mean, maybe one day I'll love myself. Where's the uh, Lee disciples? Are there? Uh, are, is the Lee fan base coming out strong yet, Lee? Mm, I don't think so. I think maybe my fans are a bit more introverted, a bit more on the quiet side. You know, yeah. they're loving me silently. That checks out. You get the navel gazing, sleeve chewing, cutie fan base. Yeah, yeah. I get the precocious lot because they like my uh, irreverent Nickelodeon humor. Is what they like, and uh, and they want. You know. Also, I think oh, I'm just going to leap in here just for a second and point out that I have a brand new microphone, so it probably sounds um, Ooh, better. Ooh. Josh, who's that? Who's that sexy fellow who's in the that? room with you? Yeah, who's that chocolate-voiced smoothie? All of a sudden, you've uh, got your Stefan or Kel persona coming out here. <laughs> it's getting hot here. Yeah, a little bit of a vapors. I'm working on that. I'm working on that voice. But in the meantime, guys, you get to hear Sonic the Hedgehog in <laughs> HD quality. Whoa, what a Sonic yeah. 3D blast. Ugh. HD. Yeah, it's not a binaural microphone, unfortunately, because I want to do some fucking Sonic ASMR for you and like, eat chili dogs and like be smacking my lips and, I don't know, playing with my rings. If you want the lip smacking, just go back to episode one. And <laughs> no, I know. So, yeah, hopefully it all sounds better. Please let me know join our discord or email us and tell me how great i sound or don't you sound great josh 
Oh, thanks, mate. Well, that was quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Anyway. All about giving just validation today. Appreciate that. I See, I want to make a podcast so good that even Lee is going to be willing to tell his IRL friends. That's what <laughs> I want to do. Uh, we're not Which, at that point. <laughs> this is a this is a hump we're trying to overcome currently. Lee seems to think that being on a Sonic the Hedgehog podcast isn't the coolest thing in the world. I, well, which look, in, my in, mind. in real life, I'm a cool guy, right? I've got to. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Hanging out with us? <laughs> <laughs> look, I've got like the Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus thing going on. So in my real life, uh, yeah. I'm I'm superstar Hannah Montana. Right, but sure. with mm. you guys, I'm just ordinary girl Miley Cyrus, who no one has ever no. heard of. You'd think it would be the other way around. You'd think we would get the <laughs> Hannah Montana, <laughs> but you're wearing the wig in real life. That's how it goes. We get, we get natural hair, Lee, and then Wiggly is the one that goes out into the world. Got the whole glasses on, glasses off, fake mustache, all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Well, uh, what an episode we have for you today, uh, talking about one of the most, probably mo- one of the most beloved games in the canon. Uh, and we're, we talked about Sonic Adventure 1 uh, previously with this guest, and we're very excited to have him back. Uh, so let's give a welcome to cartoonist Sam Logan. Sam Logan wow. of Salmon's Fuzzy fame? They're very same. Lee, you were not yet official co-host last time Sam was on. So Sam, Lee, Lee, Sam, welcome. We finally meet. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi. I love the little musical introduction. It's very dramatic. Yeah. You can thank Nathan, Nathan for Nathan's that. fingers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very own digits. <laughs> what? That makes it what? sound it's, weird. Why is it weird to refer to your friend's fingers? I just want to say you've got great fingers. <laughs> That was you playing it on the piano? Yeah, live right yeah. now. I was sitting right in front of the keyboard. <laughs> oh, really? I could sit in front of my keyboard, too. We could we could oh, riff off on each other. Oh, here, <laughs> here we go. Yeah, that's what let's, we want. Let's not. It's too dangerous. You're stepping on my territory, guys. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I can play Jingle Bells on the piano. I'm going to catch up to you guys. I'll, I'm the little brother of the piano group. I, I'm, I'm catching up. I'll meet you there. Oh, yeah, you'll be there in a month. Uh, I can play the Spring Yard Zone song <gasps> on the piano. Yes. Nice. All right. We're going to have to have you back a third time for a concert episode. <laughs> and I can play the, the Mario Kart song, the, the Mario Circuit from the first game. Whoa. Those are, my, those are my video game songs. Nathan, shots fired. What can you play? I know you can play <laughs> Green Hill Zone. I've heard you play it. Yeah, I have a lot of video game songs. Actually, most of my piano repertoire now is video game songs, which is kind of sad in a way. I can play like you know the Zelda theme, the NES Mario theme, Green Hill Zone, a bunch of stuff. He does wow. keep busy, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, dang. Sorry, Sam. Uh, I thought you were going to win that That's one. That's great. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I used to play piano a lot, and then um, I lived without one for a few years, and I only got one again recently. So oh. I have to. I have, I'm out of practice. But if you want to hear some Billy Joel songs or some Ben Folds 5, uh, I got you. Hell yeah. <laughs> You'll have to make sure you get up to speed. It's <laughs> uh, 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 a Sonic the Hedgehog podcast. Well, it was nice moment. being on the podcast, everyone. I'll uh, see you next time. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Sam. Bye. Thanks so much for coming by. You're not getting out of it that easy, motherfucker. We're here to talk about <laughs> Sonic Adventure the second today. Serious business. It's extremely serious. Um, Sonic Adventure 2 was very serious, wasn't it? It um, 
you know, the the first Sonic Adventure was still, I feel like, a, a continuation of the Sonic Three and Knuckles storyline. It was still somewhat lighthearted, even if it did end with an entire city full of people being drowned. Sure, no problem. Maybe they're all okay. Maybe they all just uh, took refuge on the, uh, you know, fifth floor upwards. I don't know how high the water went. I didn't care to look, but they're fine. Maybe they were okay. Everyone's fine. Yeah, they've all got little buoys on them. At the end, exactly. Uh, and at the end, you know, it all it all comes good in the end. You know, the Chaos Emerald saved the day. Sonic uh, does his thing. It's all good. But Sonic Adventure Two, ooh, I tell you what, boy, that's uh, that's an edgy, uh, gritty, dark, mature themes, isn't it? Yeah. I was planning to say this later, but here we go. I'll just start off with it out of the gate, which is. I, it feels to me like Sonic Adventure 2 is actually the proper birth of modern Sonic, okay. more so than Sonic Adventure 1, which feels like the 3D continuation of Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Sonic Adventure 2 is where the games that follow seem to be taking more of their playstyle inspiration. What at Sonic Adventure 2 also, you know, it's the last one that is native on Sega hardware. Came out in 2001 in the last year of the Sega Dreamcast life cycle. RIP. Ported over to the GameCube. RIP. Uh, and it was a lot of it was a lot of fans' uh, first entrance into the series Sonic Adventure 2 Battle because not a lot of people had a Dreamcast as it turned out. Um, mm. But following Sonic Adventure 2 was you know Sonic Heroes, uh, which continues the thing of splitting up by Hero Dark. It adds two other ones in Sonic Heroes. Shadow the Hedgehog plays virtually similar to combining all of the different elements of Sonic Adventure 2, running, exploring, shooting, uh, to Sonic 06 and so forth. And so it, it kind of feels like this is where, now that we have these terms classic and modern Sonic, it, in replaying Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 recently, that thought struck me of like, oh, this is, this is kind of where the series takes a lot of its inspiration for quite a while until Sonic Unleashed uh, was, was this game. Yeah. And including the, as you're saying, like the kind of like somewhat more mature storytelling, the somewhat more uh, edgy storylines, the uh, the themes being a little bit more teen. You got government intrigue. You got, you know, you got Mr. President. Uh, you got President urgent business. Himself. Wow. Yeah. It's all there. The president, the Mr. President of the United States of the Earth, of Sonic's world. And uh, there's loads going on, isn't there? There's. Um, there's there's jewel thieves there's uh there's threats a moon base there's a moon base something out of moonraker almost it kind of felt to me like your big brother's version of sonic the hedgehog 2 with uh, the arc being analogous to like the death egg kind of thing you know it's the first time also you play dr eggman one of the only times you play as dr eggman in a game Mm. that was pretty we had two new player characters shadow the hedgehog and rouge the bat for team dark mm-hmm. so this was all this was all like whoa ho, ho. this is uh this is not your this and also this was the first uh anniversary title right this came out as the 10th yeah. anniversary of sonic the hedgehog now we're at the 30th anniversary so the 20th anniversary of sonic adventure 2 and it wow. was a big deal it was a really big deal i remember uh i didn't manage to get a copy of the birthday pack at the time i remember there being a huge fury around it everyone trying to get involved um but we did get it on release day i think it's one of the only sonic games if not the only sonic games i bought on release and there was a huge buzz around it you know this is still for me early days internet you know i think Mm -hmm. we just got a computer at that point this is back in the olden days of 2001 I know, right? Uh, I definitely remember lurking on the old GHC forums around the time that this came out. So I would have been 16 and 
lurking about on the GC boards. And, and I definitely remember a number of posters being very angry that there was a roll button. And that definitely <laughs> impacted my yeah as well. Oh, you mean like the somersault button? The somersault. Yeah. Somersault, yeah. Which you want a roll button in like your ideal Sonic 3D game, right, Nathan? But you don't. You wouldn't yeah. want it like Sonic Adventure Two, I imagine. Um, the thing that I remember most about like this game is that, um, you know, the the first game I had that whole like experience where I, you know, rented it early from Blockbuster and then I didn't own it for a while, uh, and um, you know, didn't wind up getting it until later. But this was the one like I was ready to get in on, on the ground floor, and there was that demo, like a demo disc that came with something. Oh yeah, Fancy Star Online. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't have that game, and I remember uh, getting the demo uh, by pirating it, <gasps> um, burning it to a disc. Uh, so I was the bad person. Uh, but I remember getting that demo and being kind of a little shocked about like the ways in which it was different. But like I was still like, it's Sonic. I'm on board. I'll get it. Mm. And then to continue my story of horrible crimes and confessions, uh, the day it came out. Uh, I had a summer job. I was working as a delivery driver for like a, a chain of gift shops. And I wanted to get that game that day, but my job, my shift didn't end until after the EB games was closed. So I got in the delivery truck to do my morning drives, which was all in like a little area downtown. And I drove like half an hour off course to go to the <laughs> mall to go to the EB games and buy the game while I was on shift. And then I came back and I told them that there had been traffic. <laughs> nice. uh, it, anyway, uh, I think the statute of limitations has passed on, on, on that one. Nice. Sam, what I'm getting out of this is that you're the reason the Dreamcast is dead and Sega's no longer <laughs> yeah. the hardware business. No, no, no. I bought a real copy. I bought a real copy. I, I just bought it while I was technically supposed to be working. Uh, and I used the company car and the company gas to go get it. But that's fine. That's good. That's dedication to the cause. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then it was bad, so. <laughs> oh, mate. Okay, oh. well. Spoilers. No, no, it's all right. It's okay. It's okay, it's isn't it? it? It's It's definitely polarizing. I think there's a lot of people that, uh, I, I like to think of it as kind of a, a last hurrah, a bit of a farewell to the series as we knew it, as a lot of the mm-hmm. older team then went on to not be part of it anymore. Um, and also it tying back in with other themes. Uh, and I've said this before on the pod, I think, as well, just like having it almost like a, a denouement for Dr. Eggman, which, um, mm. you know, having him become more of a sympathetic, being like a real true threatening presence throughout and then becoming a sympathetic character by the end of it you had a really nice arc uh, 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 <laughs> and uh, and uh you know it just it was just it's overall just quite good stuff i felt like and so i think yeah as i say it's quite polarizing i think some people are like yeah that's where they started so they've got fond memories some people like myself see it as the kind of end of things some people see it as the end in, in a much more uh, fatalistic way of it being like <laughs> the beginning of the series downfall kind of thing but then some people think it all went downhill after sonic one so your mileage yeah. may vary yeah i'm kind of in the camp where i think sonic adventure 2 is the beginning of the end because it was the first sonic game first mainline sonic game that i was disappointed with overall okay. i didn't i thought and i think this is a common complaint for sonic adventure 2 is that you know two-thirds of the game is non-sonic yes. content or action yeah. content which 
I think is kind of understandable in a way, but what I really don't like on top of that is that the one third Sonic and shadow action game stuff is a regression in my opinion, from what I enjoyed most in Sonic adventure one. And it was the first time where the gameplay kind of was moving in a direction that I didn't like as much. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, it was an interesting one. Um, because they were like all the flaws of Sonic Adventure 1, they seem to polish and fine tune them in Sonic Adventure 2. But then a lot of the cool things about Sonic Adventure 1 were just completely absent from Sonic mm-hmm. Adventure 2. So it was a, both a step forward and a step backwards. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the charm is, uh, is gone by that point in trying to make it a bit more grown up i don't know the thing is i can't think of any words to describe it that don't sound really cliched by this point but at the time it was touted as being you know gritty and and more like realistic and whatnot and it's like i don't want that shit anymore no it's i know what you're saying it's it's kind of tricky to find the words for it. there's so much to talk about with this game it's almost hard to know where to begin because it's not you know in replaying it I, I i didn't have the feeling of like oh this is gritty i i'll tell you that i had recently i after my recent replay was not terribly long after replay after playing through for the only time Sonic forces, which I would say in comparing the stories of the two, like at least the tone in Sonic adventure two is quite consistent. Like it doesn't, it doesn't go too dark. It's never too light, but it does start. There's a lot of mystery with it. That's sort of fun, Hmm. right? Like there's, it starts off with like, Oh, Sonic's a fugitive which had sort of been done in the comic books, but never in the video games. You haven't seen him in that context. He's escaping from some mysterious military organization tower. And then in a recognizably American location, which was also a yeah. first, uh, you'd sort of seen some lot. There was the Las Vegas kind of stages in Sonic 2 in Casino Night Zone, but you're in literal San Francisco when you start the game. <laughs> yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was exciting. It, it brought Sonic home a little bit, I suppose. Not to my particular home, but then nothing really goes on around here, to be honest. But to one of Sega's homes, where they were located, right? Because they, this was a game that was developed in America, correct? It was developed in San Francisco at the old STI. Is that right? Yeah, or at the time, Sega's headquarters were closer to that location. I think they've since moved to a different part of California, but yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's like they, they took uh, a small subsection of the people who made the first game and moved them there and then like got them to develop the sequel in what we now know to be like not very much time. Right. So like a, like a, a reduced staff, not many vets from like the original game. And then they get like transplanted to a completely different comp, uh, country to like, you know, staff up and make this new game. So it's like, I think it's kind of like cool that they took so much inspiration from like where they were. Yeah, they were doing a lot of that too. Remember in Sonic Adventure One, Naka and mm-hmm. team essentially, I guess, probably funded uh, vacations lavishly to South America <laughs> and other places of the world as uh, under the guise of corporate research. So in that sense, it's a bit of a step down that you have gone from <laughs> you know visiting like Machu Picchu for inspiration to then just like walking through to the Golden Gate Bridge, equally <laughs> prestigious landmark. <laughs> Well, kind of like from taking a vacation to another continent to like what's immediately outside the office. Yeah. <laughs> and it ended up it ended up being like iconic. But, yeah, it is sort of like lazy. It's like the cover of Abbey Road. It's like, all right, we got to take a cup. Let's just go outside to the cross bar. That'll be <laughs> yeah. But then it becomes like this iconic thing of like, oh, yeah, Sonic, you know, streaking down the, the hills of San Francisco. That's like 
one of the images that comes to mind when you think about the series as a whole now, because it's such a energetic opening. Plus, obviously, that stage, you know, a, a, a lot of the case with the Sonic series is that the first stage has a lot of the best stuff or like a, the most, uh, you know, trailer worthy moments and like, you know, skating down while you're listening to Escape from the City uh, is just like a, a really thrilling way to start the game. Utter classic song now at this point, but oh, it's amazing. fun, isn't it? Yeah, it I think fun. it it's just such a strong opening. Like you've got the yeah. opening cutscene with like Sonic, you know, jumping out the helicopter, tears off the door, goes down, like you said, like skateboarding, but well, more snowboarding and roadboarding, yeah. roadboarding, roadboarding. That's what you can call it. Yeah, it was. Oh, it's just it gets right in there though. It doesn't dawdle. It's just like a quick intro. Okay, now you're playing Sonic and you've got some cool pop music going on and it's San Francisco and it's got that Sega Blue Skies going on. Yeah. Of course, that's provided that you're starting with the hero story and not the dark story. If you choose to start with the dark story, then, uh-oh, you're starting with the shooting stages and a long cutscene. <laughs> so has, <laughs> has anyone here done that, started the game with the dark story? I tried once. So I, I replayed the game really recently and I did it the like the hero path first and the dark path. The previous time, like a few years ago, where I attempted to replay it, I started with the dark campaign and I, I ended up falling off after a couple of levels. Um, it's like it's interesting that it gives you the option to play them in any order because like there's certain you know, like similarities between the two campaigns. Like there's a lot of equivalent levels between them. Uh, so like in theory, whichever one you play first could feel like that was like the first version of the level. And then you see like the second version in the other campaign. But I feel like it very rarely feels that way. All of the, like the dark campaign feels like the one that got like all of the darkness, like the short, it got the, it got the, it got the short shrift on, on level selection. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you just look at the Sonic and Shadow levels, Sonic gets six levels, Shadow only gets four. And that, that two-level difference goes a real long way when you're playing a campaign through. Yeah, it does make a difference. And it's inter- you noted on the, uh, the similar levels as well. I mean, there's a, there's a very real reason for that as well. Um, they, they were fucking broke, <laughs> right? And they had about... <laughs> What was the team size? It was ridiculously small, wasn't it? It was like twenty people or something. Like they had like a year. It was. It was. They were up against it for Sonic Adventure Two, right? Like that's something that I'm a little confused about. They, there's no way that only twenty people worked on that game, right? I I think what it is is that they um, started development with a team of around twenty people who had worked on the previous game, and that might have been the team initially. But I'm sure that like once they were transplanted to America, they staffed up to finish yeah. that game. You can't make a game of that scale with just twenty people. That's impossible. I mean, I mean, I guess you never know. Like, I mean, it's not the same game, but like I remember, you know, Izuka in an interview talking about how he did most of the level design for Sonic Heroes because they were running out of time. So like. If you can have a scenario on a game after this one where one person was doing most of the level design, then like maybe it's not unfeasible that similar things happen here. But I mean, I would hope that they had some additional staff, yeah. at least at, like brought in partway through. Yeah. So Sonic Adventure 2 released uh, midway through 2001. So we like just passed the uh, 20 year anniversary for it. And Sonic Adventure 1 had come out 
at the tail end of 1998 in Japan, and then about a year later in September for the global launch in 1999. So it's about a uh, two and a half to three year gap between those two games. Yeah, they say the development cycle was 18 months, according to this uh, recent interview with Azuka. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't start on it until after the American release of of the first one. I mean, you know, Sonic Team at that time they were they made other stuff between those two games even before they like properly split. Yeah, they were real busy during that time period. It def- it didn't feel at the time like it was like in any way a downgrade to Sonic Adventure One. It was the opposite. It felt like this was like Sonic Adventure One, but blown out and and bigger and better. I don't know. I don't think of that now in my recent revisits, but at the time. It was like, oh, this is, you know, <clears throat> there's no more fishing stages. Uh, so there's, it, it seemed like they <laughs> yeah. were like narrowing, narrowing their focus. But then the story seemed so much more like grandiose, I guess, that uh, that it felt like it was the the case of like the Hollywood sequel where now there's a bigger budget. Uh, so it's surprising to like learn that it was actually this much smaller team on an incredibly compressed timeline. And, you know, they did a pretty good job with all that, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like so much of it too just comes down to like the way that it chooses to present itself. Like you know, they made this decision to like, uh, you know, group the levels into these two campaigns and to like alternate between the characters, like as the story permits and stuff like that. You know, whereas I feel like there's a universe where if you had just taken those levels and the styles of gameplay they had and and group them differently. So there was just like a Sonic campaign that was just the 10 Sonic style levels. And then, you know, a campaign that's the eight shooting levels and a campaign that's the eight treasure hunting levels. I think in that scenario, you would really be primed to appreciate like, Oh, this is much like bigger than Sonic adventure. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's 30 distinct levels. There's 10 Sonic ones like there were before, but now there's like eight shooting stages and eight treasure hunting stages and they don't reuse the layouts from the Sonic stages at all or anything like that. It feels like more robust in that respect, Yeah. but it also feels a little padded. And yeah. I mean, this is, I think people are, you know, this is subjective, but there's a lot of stages that feel kind of similar to other stages and your mileage may vary how much you enjoy that. Even in the Sonic stages, like two of the shadow stages feel unique and two of them are just kind of like remixes of stuff that you've seen in the Sonic campaign. Right. White jungle is basically green forest with fog, right? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of reused assets and stuff, and whether that was down to trying to keep a cohesive kind of art style or whether it's down to the fact that they were just up against it, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's interesting because I think this game suffers a lot from its structure because it's trying to do a similar thing to Sonic Adventure 1, right, where you're telling a story across multiple different characters and perspectives, and... Sonic Adventure 2 does do a lot of things that I have been wanting from this franchise for many, many years now in that, you know, it narrows its focus a bit and tries to uh, focus and improve on the systems that they do have and refine things. But I don't like the way it ended up in the final product. And also, I think that the fact that you have this, the hero and dark stories where you're kind of push down this linear path and you're forced to play the stages in a set order and not necessarily maybe playing the action stages that you want to play as opposed to Sonic Adventure 1 where you can pick Sonic and say, I want to play the Sonic stages and that's what you're going to get. And instead, in Sonic Adventure 2, you're sometimes forced to play like multiple levels in a row where you're not playing as Sonic and it might be frustrating for some people in that respect. There's part of me that like does sometimes wish that the game was split into just like kind of what you're saying where 
where, where you could just choose between playing Sonic, Knuckles, and Dr. Eggman. The three styles of gameplay, but full campaigns just for one character rather than splitting it across two. Still have Shadow and Rouge and Tails, uh, but as NPCs. Uh, and like you say, just being able to like choose which mode of gameplay you want to uh, get into at that time, whatever you're in the mood for, rather than because it, it breaks up the flow, right? Like the flow of the game is constantly like tripping over itself. It's like there, it starts in the hero side with uh, such an exciting city escape level. And then you're introduced to the knuckle stages, which uh, is, you know, a bit of a step down. And then after that, a tail stage, which is, in my opinion, a, a further step down in terms of the amount of enjoyment. And the, the knuckles and roost stages are particularly frustrating because the levels themselves are so much bigger than the emerald hunting stages in Sonic Adventure 1, but crucially, they ruin it by having the emerald radar be only one emerald at a time. So you, and, and also you can't turn off the beeping. The beeping kills me. The, yeah. yeah. The, the radar design is a huge unforced error, and I don't well, know how they went with that decision. How did they fuck up so badly? It was, yeah, having the openness, the exploration was kind of what made the Knuckles stages fun. You had three things. Go out there, find him as and when. Just to, you, you could explore freely, knowing that you're not going to miss anything. Whereas, say something like Pumpkin Hill, or even like, oh, Mad Space, or some shit mm-hmm. like that. You might have walked straight past one of them, but because that was number two and you're still on number one, then you're fucked, mate. You might not even find it again. And there's, yeah, you basically the knuckles stages become just gliding around. Yeah, that's it. And as a result, you have to like kind of rely on the hint monitors, like yeah. almost which is front which is annoying and frustrating like you want to not have any hints you want to aside from the emerald radar which is the perfect hint system you're warm or you're cold that's great yeah. uh it's like the annoyingness of Tikal from Zelda 64, but instead you have to go to a designated point and find the glowing ball instead of just having her yell at you yeah. constantly yeah Tikal in Zelda 64 what a crossover <laughs> it's it's kind of like an interesting like situation because all three of these game styles are are you know based on things that were in the first game and they're the three styles of gameplay in sonic adventure that i like the most mm-hmm. so like it's not it's just interesting how like all three of them while i think they're like technically more polished are, are just pushed in a direction that made them a little less what i wanted than they were before 100 because it's like you've got the sonics you got the sonic stages and they're i mean they're still my favorite but like you know, th- there's a much bigger emphasis on like, uh, you know, score attack, perfect run, you know, mm-hmm. reflexive type stuff and not as much on exploring, which is just personally not my bag. And then you've got the shooting stages, which I loved with E102, but they removed the dynamic of needing score multipliers to refill the timer, which was the thing that I thought was the most fun about those levels. So they just feel like slower and clunkier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the treasure hunting stages like you said they they make it so that you can only track one emerald at a time uh and then towards the end of the game the stages start to get so big uh it just feels like i mean to be honest with those treasure hunting stages there's definitely like even though i know the replay value of the pieces moving around is cool there's a part of me that's like wouldn't it be better if there were just like eight red coins and each one was hidden in a deliberately like interesting place instead of them just being like randomly scattered every time. And like half the time the hiding place is not really like a cool hiding place or whatever. It's just like, it's just somewhere like they just get dropped randomly in like hundreds of locations. Like I, I don't know. There's the possible locations. I've always wondered about that. (laughs) Yeah. I never played the game enough. 
I think it has to be random. Um, because like you said, it would sort of defeat the replay value. And Sonic Adventure 2 was so much built upon the replay value. You had your five missions for every stage. And then you had like your ranking system for every mission within that. So you, every stage, you've got five A ranks to try and go for. So I think it's, right. comple- it's completely necessary for the knuckle stages. I just almost wonder if I would have preferred if there were just like multiple sets of locations. So it's like the first time you play the level, you know, you get the easy locations. There's like five places and they're, they're maybe easier to find, but they're all like, you know, kind of interesting, deliberate placements that, you know, take you to places in the level that are, are interesting, uh, to experience. But then maybe there's like, you know, a normal mode set and a hard mode set and like an extra hard mode set. And so it's like, you're still getting like the variety of locations, but just there's just something to encourage that the placements are always cool because it's like I had the experience when I replayed it where um, I didn't get the air necklace with knuckles because oh, the God. emerald placement that I got, I forgot it was in that level. And the emerald placement I got, it was like not even remotely necessary to go to that area of the level or really even to go underwater because I just got three randomly placed emeralds that were like you know, easy to get. And it didn't really involve manipulating the water levels very much. And so I was just kind of in and out of that level in two minutes and didn't think anything of it until I got to the end of the game and had to do that swimming sequence with knuckles. And I'm like, Oh, I never got the air necklace. Why did I never get the air necklace? It's like, well, I never went to that area of that level because it didn't put an emerald there. Yeah. I didn't have to do it. So like, that's the kind of thing that would definitely should be refined in player testing and then just like have a emerald, guaranteed to spawn nearby that or something like that i think the biggest problem i had is just the radar and only being able to find one at a time it is just such a weird decision to make you basically play this level in a set order instead of because they're designed to be open-ended levels to encourage Mm -hmm. exploring except you're discouraged from doing that because you're just trying to fly around these levels essentially to find the ping yeah and yeah it feels it, it it feels like work rather than a fun scavenger hunt especially when you and and, I, and it feels almost unavoidable it, for me on the replay uh in the later space levels it's like well I, I have to look at a monitor i'm flying all around i'm not seeing the thing go off i've got to get some sort of hint here and it just feels then it just starts feeling like busy work uh as opposed to the fun scavenger hunt that it could be yeah it the single radar makes sense as a response to the clue system because you need to know okay these clues off of this particular emerald piece but then, yeah. but then you end up with a system that's less fun. So what they should have said was, okay, this clue system makes it less fun. It's more fun to have free radars rather than to have the clue system. So we should have yeah. stuck with that. Doesn't it fuck up your score as well if you use one it of does. the monitors? Yes, yeah. yes. So it's such a feels-bad moment. You're like, you yeah. already feel like you fucked up. And then it's like, oh, and if I talk to this fucking computer, then I'm going to lose... Like, thousand points or whatever as well i'm glad you brought that up because i did want to get into a bigger discussion about the ranking system in general i ooh, what was that that was some big thunder i just saw a big like oh, oh wow it's oh, there it goes yeah. <laughs> we're going to preface this by saying that nathan is currently being beleaguered by uh raging storms and uh may or may not be struck by lightning but we are willing to risk it all to bring you this podcast. We're going to go right up until the flood is up at the mic level. We're willing to risk Nathan. The rest <laughs> of us are fine. 
<laughs> that is a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Yeah, no well, thank you, Josh. <laughs> Anyways, like I was saying about the ranking system, I this is something that I am kind of actually disappointed that was has been introduced into the series and now has become, I guess, a staple mainstay feature of the mainline Sonic games where you are graded for your performance in levels. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of almost... Uh, antithetical to what i tend to enjoy about sonic which is you know playing to improve your flow or just to have fun or explore and all that stuff while the grading system kind of funnels you down a very specific play style or set of rules that you have to adhere to to get a good ranking and while you can choose to ignore that while you're playing through the game of course to get all the unlocks or see all the content within the game, you are forced to engage with the system that I don't like even on its face, especially in Sonic Adventure 2. I think maybe some later games did it in a way that was less offensive to me, but I think especially in 2, I didn't like it too much. Well, the, I feel like the problem with the ranking system is that like it's either overly punitive, so you're chasing a score and you know you, something might you might just fuck up one jump or not get that one ring and you're like oh i gotta be okay well fuck me i guess i have to go back yeah. and start again we just have to and start some, over yeah some people enjoy that some people want the the score attack shit i mean that's fair enough but yeah it's either overly punitive or in a reaction to that a lot of the later games the only prerequisite for getting an s rank is just like just don't die get to the end don't die and you'll have more than enough points and you'll get an s rank and you'll fly through it sonic generations comes to mind so at that point the ranking system mm-hmm. is essentially useless it's 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 almost binary. It's like you either did or didn't die. Well, I think in I think in Sonic Generations, the way it worked was it was based on time and only time. But to get to get it bumped up from an A to an S, you needed to have not died. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. But then it's just kind of pointless, isn't it? Isn't it? It's just like, of course, you're going to do it in good time. It's a Sonic game. Every level is over in two minutes. So it was kind of cool to have that Tony Hawk trick thing where you're looking for ways to manipulate the level i think but oh yeah i do think sonic adventure 2 did it best it was the first game to introduce that and i think it did it best because it was based on score and your score was like a total a total of everything it was um not just not just how fast you got through the level it was the enemies you defeated as well and how you chained them and like the tricks you did on the ramp in um, the beginning of City Escape, all the ramp tricks, when you're um, swooshing around on the bars, if you time it just right, you get more points for that. There's a golden beetle in every level, which gives you a lot of points. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of systems going on there, and it is about perfecting them. And I can see why that's like not everyone's cup of tea. It, does feel very much like Knights through a Sonic mm-hmm. filter or Sonic through a Knights filter, perhaps. Um, but I really loved Knights, so like that was that was okay for me. <laughs> I don't think it's like the one way a Sonic game could or should be made, but I do think it is a valid way of making a Sonic game. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I mean, it's the uh, Sonic Adventure Two is the first time since Knights that uh, Azuka is credited as a lead game designer. Yeah, it's interesting because like uh, it does feel like very nightsy, and you know I've always assumed why that's just not really my thing because I don't really like nights either. I mean, like I think it's cool like aesthetically, and I like the levels, but like replaying it over and over to like chase the scores, not 
really the kind of replay value I generally looking for, like in a platforming type game. Mm. Uh, but you know, like everybody's got different tastes or whatever. It's, it's just like the thing for me is like getting those perfect runs, especially on the Sonic stages. It just feels like it's just that you, you have a checklist of mandatory things that you have to do. Uh, and then not only do you have to do them all in one run, but you also have to figure out what they are. Uh, and I just don't find that fun because I remember it'd be like, you know, maybe if you had a guide or something, you would at least like know what the total score was you need to get. But like, ultimately it's like, well, there's probably only one way to do it. And that's that you hit every you know trick on every ramp and you chain all the enemies to like the maximum chain that's available and you find the gold bug and, you know, you do all the flips to get, you know, the, the, um, you know, the different kind of score things like the perfects or whatever. And it's just, there's just one way to do it. Right. And there's like certain specific things in the level that you have to do. And if you hit all those things and you do all the things on the checklist and you do it without screwing up and going too slow, then you get the S rank. And like, I just, that's, I just hate that. That's, that's, I mean, that's a personal thing, but that kind of like, well, just do like the perfect run basically. Yeah. I, I feel like there's not a lot of room to be creative. There is very rarely like more than one way to get an S rank. It's just, you just do it. Whereas like, if you have a system where it's like, you have a series of goals that you're supposed to achieve, like, you know, finding all of the collectibles or like beating the level under a certain time. It's like, these are things that like you can approach in different ways. And like, especially with like speed running type goals, you know, different players will maybe find different ways to achieve those times through the level. Whereas like when you're just getting these S ranks in Sonic adventure two, it really is just like do all the things on the tick list and don't screw any of them up or you have to start over from the beginning. Yeah. I think I would have liked the system more if it like you and Josh were both saying, it gave you a little bit more flexibility in what you were attempting to achieve and how you were attempting to achieve it instead of being just very punitive. Did any of you guys earn all a ranks to properly unlock the green Hill zone extra? in the game no not quite no nah. <laughs> no i downloaded a save from game Facts so i could see green hill zone <laughs> same yes yep guess what that was a disappointment too <laughs> <laughs> i did get very close as like as like back in the day on the dreamcast version uh i got a ranks in all of the sonic levels uh and i'm pretty sure in all of the like shooting levels and treasure hunting levels but it was just it was the chow stuff i just i i I don't i don't like the chows so i didn't get the chow emblems and that was why i didn't finish it did we talk much about the chow in the first episode have we really talked about the chow at all i feel like we've been dodging the chow a little bit a little bit I, I just, I mean, I don't have anything to say about them only because I, I just never did it. I mean, I have some friends who love the Chow and including some friends who like, that is almost the only reason they like these games. They basically play them for the Chow. I think like, you know, they're a cool yeah. inclusion as a, as a side thing, but I just, I was not into it and I never really did it. I think it was a mistake the way that they structured the completion kind of milestones in both Sonic Adventure 1 and Adventure 2 to require you to engage so deeply with the Chow mechanic because for me, I liked the Chow at a very casual level. Like I like, uh, you know, playing with them, uh, raising them a bit and treating them kind of like my virtual pets. And to get 100% in both Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, you have to engage much, much more deeply than that. You have to essentially raise a Chow that can complete all the trials and do all this other crap. And it takes a pretty significant time investment to get 
into all that. And I didn't have the patience to do any of that, especially in two. Do you get anything for, for, for getting like, uh, all of the emblems in the first Sonic Adventure? Is there like a reward for in that? Sonic Adventure one? There isn't other than the fact that you get all the emblems. So in one, I, I liked doing the emblem hunting and getting completion there for Sonic Adventure two. I, it was the Chow stuff combined with the ranking system and all the other stuff that, you know, prevented me from getting all A ranks and right. all emblems. In Sonic Adventure DX, they added a Metal Sonic skin if you get all the emblems. Mm. But, oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was just the DX version. I liked a <laughs> little bit of a tangent. I like that Metal Sonic model and his animations. When you jump, he does. He just spread eagles, essentially, all four limbs like a starfish or something. Is that the one? Or am I thinking Sonic R? I think that was Sonic R. Sonic R. Okay. What is his jump innovation in DX, then? I don't recall. He spins, but then the weird thing about it, when he lands, he's kind of like Michael Jackson, like leaning forward. Like It's really weird. Like He's just flopping over. It's really awkward. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but judging by the rest of the game, probably not. Okay. Well, I like the spread eagle jump better. Okay. Same. Because that's like like that's a callback to his attack in Sonic CD, where he'd spread his arms yeah. out and like glide along. And I think it's a lot less fun when they make Metal Sonic literally able to do all the things Sonic can do. It's more fun when he that's can. What the anime says. <laughs> well, yeah, there's only one Sonic. But but even then, the anime doesn't have metal sonic like doing a spin dash or anything right but i tell you he doesn't have a hard time rolling into a ball it's the sonic doppelganger du jour of sonic adventure 2 shadow the hedgehog and what an interesting character he became (laughs) what an amazingly smooth and natural segue thank you How did we all feel about Shadow when he was first revealed, when you first saw the screenshots or the artwork? I was intrigued initially. I, re- I remember because there was the whole teaser campaign for a long time where they had the first teaser trailer or something and we were downloading real low-resolution, real-media video files and analyzing every frame. And the first, the first reveal, I think, of Shadow was just this where he's the shot of him from behind where he's mostly enshrouded in darkness. Mm. Wow. Thematic resonance there. And we didn't know who it was. We thought there was, a, I remember there were a lot of debates on the internet, whether it was Sonic or whether it was a new character. And then when they finally revealed that it was a new character named shadow or whatever it was, uh, I think a lot of people were very excited for that. I was intrigued mostly, but I also, I think maybe deep down in my mid teen, uh, cynical heart, I was kind of disappointed that there was going to be like this new Sonic-like character when we already have Sonic. Yeah, I ended up coming around to Shadow because of the backstory and the way that he plays out in the game and the way that uh, the ultimate life form mystery is kind of teased throughout the story. I I liked all that. But during the marketing campaign and on the run-up to it, I was a bit embarrassed by Shadow. But I was also like 16 and like trying to decide if I was too cool or not for Sonic anymore. Like, am I still playing Sonic games? I mean, I'm a whole 16 years old now. I remember a friend of mine being like, oh, yeah, you're going to play the new Sonic game with Shadow. And just the way that he had that little scoff in there made me be like, well, yeah, but maybe we won't talk about it. Does this friend know you do a Sonic podcast now in your mid 30s? (laughs) He does not. Uh, Wait, Grant, wait wait till I tell him now. Yes, I thought you told all your friends that you ran the Sonic Hedgehog podcast. 
I've told every friend that has not scoffed about Shadow the Hedgehog. Uh, <laughs> so if you're finding out about this late and you're like, why didn't Grant tell me about this earlier? It's because you scoffed and, and I, I carried this trauma with me for 15 plus years. I think I was the right age for Shadow because I was about 14 or so. So I think that's the upper limit for oh, What a child for you Shadow. were. Yeah, and I wasn't, following, I wasn't following it too closely or the pre-release stuff. Um, I had an issue or two of Dreamcast magazine. So I saw the screenshots and the artwork. And I thought it was a cool design because this was like the time of skater culture, right? Oh yeah. So that's why, yeah, that, that's why you've got the grind rails and the soap shoes. Soap and... shoes, baby. Were you a skater boy, Lee? Were you saying "see you later, boy"? <laughs> I didn't have the coordination. The skater boy doesn't say "see you later, boy," Grant. The girl says "see you later." Yeah, and then she made a huge mistake because he became rich and famous, and that's what you want from a life partner. So she she fucked up big time. Yeah, rich, famous skater boy. Tony How Tony Hawk is the ideal man. <laughs> hey, Avril Levine's Canadian. Sam, do you know her? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's my cousin. Oh, okay. Just checking. Shadow had that skater boy energy. <laughs> he did. No, he had roll he had roller skates, right? But they were sci-fi, so yeah. they were like rocket skates. But he was still skating. He still had the skating animation. And he had the yeah. like st- the red streaks in his spikes. So it was like, oh, this is like the... It had like that jet set radio kind of energy almost. So it was like, okay, here's like the bad boy, skater boy like so- version of Sonic. And that's why it was really strange when I actually played the game. He wasn't a bad boy, skater boy, street punk... He was the government's top secret weapon from Sealed 50 years ago. That seemed really at odds with this skater boy character design. It turns out that like uh, an ultimate life form built 50 years ago just coincidentally looks like somebody brought a tribal tattoo to life. <laughs> I, I, do, I do love that Gerald Robotnik was like, I'll create the ultimate life form and this research will help my granddaughter Maria. I want to cure her illness. And also, he should have super dope like rocket skates. <laughs> And he can grind rails. <laughs> All of you ungrateful humans made fun of my skating. Oh, sure. <laughs> do, do you think he tested them out? <laughs> yeah, 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 obviously. So first he's like, okay, ultimate life form. I got it. Big lizard. Mm, okay, it didn't work out. Uh, all right, all right. Well, it's not a big lizard. Then uh, roller skating hedgehog? Mm, <laughs> oh, that's much better. Now we got it. How exciting was that, though? Because it felt like it was like, oh, my gosh, this is a callback. Like the bio lizard is a callback to perfect chaos. And so you think, okay, then they're re- referencing the rural from or the mural, the rural mural from Sonic Adventure <laughs> 1. And then as it then the ultimate life form is, in fact, uh, you know, shadow, we're told. And so then you're thinking, oh, maybe this is a reference to the mural from Sonic 3 and Knuckles, where maybe what Gerald did was he was going around, taking in all the murals in all the different places on Angel Island, and then conducting his research, I, I guess, just based on that. All of his, all of his ex- weird experiments just came because he saw some paintings once and was like, I should make that. I'll make this. The big lizard, I could do this. Oh, the little hedgehog, I could do this too. There's, <laughs> there's like a logic to it. Like even without that, where it's just like, okay, so if he's trying to make a creature that uses the power of the Chaos Emeralds, 
I guess it could just coincidentally wind up resembling other creatures that have existed that have used it. So it's like, you know, it looks like Perfect Chaos. It looks like Sonic because that is what things that can use the power of the Chaos Emeralds look like in real life. Like, well, not in real life, but you know what I mean? Like in a non-bioengineered way. So it's just like he tried to make something that used the Chaos Emeralds. And so first he made a big lizard and then he made a fast little hedgehog. It's like checks out. Yes. He he was doing all this biogenetic engineering and basically implanting his ultimate life form embryo in the surrogate mother who happens to be a hedgehog. I I also think maybe part of the idea of a lizard was simply because lizards regenerate their limbs. So yeah, it sort of makes sense. Lizards don't regenerate their limbs? What yeah, are you talking they, about? They regrow them. Like, they don't regenerate like yeah. Doctor Who or whatever. They do don't they? They're they tails? regrow limbs? They, yes. they, some of them, they do. Wait, what lizard does that? No, I, this I, is... Are you I, thinking of, like, geckos or something, where they shed the tail, and then maybe the tail kind of grows back? Listen, I've read a lot of Spider-Man comics. There's some lizards that regrow uh, limbs or tails if they get cut off. I was not aware of the limbs thing. I don't know what kind of lizards, but but yeah, that is the reason why Doc Connors turns himself into a lizard in Spider-Man as well. Yes. Because he thinks it'll regrow his arm back. It's where it's like I don't know if it's literally geckos, but some sort of little gecko-like lizards do that. I feel like also another one of the fun mysteries in Sonic Adventure Two was the tease that Shadow was not the original Shadow. Now and then by the sequel game in Sonic Heroes, there's the cutscene at the end of the dark story there, where you see a whole lab of artificial shadows. But in just Sonic Adventure Two there's the idea that maybe these memories aren't his own, which I interpreted at the time that, oh, maybe they're implying that Sonic is also created by Gerald Robotnik and doesn't realize it. Did anybody else come to that sort of conclusion, or was that just me? I think that was intentional. Yes. I thought it was implied a bit, but I think the conclusion the game kind of also implies then ultimately is that Sonic is a form of the ultimate life form, but a more natural, organic, non-artificial uh, version of that. Yeah, like Gerald Robotic was anticipating Sonic, essentially. And then Sonic naturally happened through the power of evolution. (laughs) It's definitely, like, this was something I remembered about the game a lot, and so I was curious when I was replaying it again to, like, see how it came across. I do think, like, I mean, there's, there's definitely something there. Like, there's so much of the mystery of the game, like, is about... You know, does the timeline make sense for Shadow to have actually been on the Ark or doesn't it? Because, you know, if Gerald clearly had him off of the Ark and was able to reprogram him post-Ark, so it's like either he wasn't created until after, uh, like, the Ark shootout, or, you know, he was retrieved by the military and then they brought him in for Gerald to work on him. And, and uh, I mean, that feels very, like, improbable, like, because the whole point is, like, the military goes in to shut down his research because it's too dangerous, hmm. and then they eject Shadow to, like, try and save him, and then the military finds Shadow, and then they bring it back to Gerald to keep working on it, like, the thing that they were trying to stop <laughs> him from doing. I, mean, I guess, like, because it was in their own facility. Yeah, their their treatment of Gerald is pretty confusing. Why did they have to gun down Maria for any of this? That was just so that there would be no witnesses? She was caught in the crossfire. Yeah, I think it's an accident or something. I'm not sure. I mean, it's not clear whether they go up there and just, like, murder everybody on the Ark or whether they were just, like, trying to secure the facility. I mean, they do successfully arrest Gerald, but I think it's because he's not there. Is is the, like, he wasn't on the Ark at the time? So the military performed a no-knock raid on the wrong address, and it happened to be on the moon. 
That sounds right. Yeah, there. Yeah, it's a lot of accuracy here. Yeah, there's a bit of an epilogue in the Japanese strategy guide where it's Rouge's report on Project Shadow and everything that's happened. And that clears up a few bits of that. It clears up what the operation was on the arc. Um, but it does make a point of saying a capsule was ejected from the arc, but it was never found. So it's unclear if the shadow on Prison Island was the shadow that was ejected from the Ark or not. So it does leave that that open. Like, was that, is there another shadow who you can bring back in a sequel? Or was that one actually Sonic? Or did Gerald just anticipate a being like Sonic? And it was really cool just to have that mystery there, just to leave it to your own interpretation. And I think all the yeah. I think all the follow ups ruined that by giving Shadow a definitive origin. It's it's definitely like something that feels very deliberate. Where it's you know sometimes you write something where you're just like, what's interesting is like having this question that you can't quite answer, but that has like interesting possibilities. So we're just going to do that deliberately. It's like you know if we can you know clarify that you know, Shadow remembers being ejected in the pod, and then that the pod that was ejected was supposedly never found, and now we have this uncertainty about when this, you know, the Shadow of the game was built. It's like we have the ability to, like, imply this, like, interesting, like, weirdness. It's like, you know, could the Sonic have been in the pod, or could another Shadow have been in the pod, or was the Shadow the real one all along? And it's just, like, that's just fun mm-hmm. to not answer. Yep. And I can totally imagine that whoever wrote that it's just like this will just be interesting because like i know i'll never be allowed to actually write an origin story for sonic but it would be fun to like imply like a possible origin story just as like a thought exercise or whatever uh so it is kind of a bummer when the later games like not only clarify it but also clarify it in this like really weird way that involves aliens yeah they <laughs> they did a highlander too i was just gonna say you even have like the like the specific like the, I mean, the storytelling in this game is not super well executed, but you know, you have the thing where like Sonic is able to do chaos control, and Shadow is like, "How did yeah. you do that?" And Sonic's like, "Well, I knew how to do it, mm-hmm. you know, because I saw you doing it, and then I did it too." So then it's kind of like, you know, it's like, "Oh, is this because you know Sonic can do naturally what you know Shadow was engineered to do, or is there like some other kind of link here that's interesting?" But like, you know, it's not something Sonic has ever done before, uh, or subsequently, I guess. <laughs> I think that's even possible for basically anybody who's holding the emeralds to do. Do they ever definitively show in Sonic Adventure 2 that it's something that only Sonic and Shadow are capable of doing? I mean, technically, Sonic never does it with a real Chaos Emerald either. He only does it with a fake one. <laughs> I, it's that... been too long. I don't remember the details anymore. <laughs> Eggman shoots Sonic out into space, and all Sonic has with him is Tails' like, fake Chaos Emerald that he made to try and fool Eggman that supposedly is similar to a regular Emerald but not as powerful. And then he's like, Oh, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna get shot in the sun or whatever, unless and then he like uses the fake chaos emerald to chaos control. So it's like doubly weird. It's a great scene, I think. It's like that that scene really sticks out. I'm glad it it's come up because it's like that's aside from seeing <laughs> Dr. G- or Professor Gerald's uh uh execution on screen, which he uploads to the arc for the last story, uh that's like the darkest that it that it gets, and it's a pretty tense and exciting moment where you know, Sonic, they're trying to, oh, you fi- you finally got to Robotnik, to Dr. Eggman, and you've got the fake Chaos Emerald. You're going to pull a switcheroo. Looks like it's the end. Oh, but Tails gives away the game. Uh, Robotnik catches him in the capsule and shoots him out. And 
there's a beat where Eggman gets to gloat and Tails and Amy get to be like, oh no, Sonic is really dead. It, it seems like he's really dead. And it seems like it's a, it's a pretty high stakes moment. Uh, I think the storytelling overall in the game is, I mean, yeah, you can kind of pick it apart, but it's on, on a relative scale of Sonic game storytelling. It's, I can see why people still kind of go back to this game 20 years later and kind of point to like, oh, story-wise, this is sort of what I, what I want from it because it does feel like it hits that right young teen tone where there's there's just enough mystery and just enough kind of implied darkness to make you go like to make you make the reddit post of like whoa i think is is this game actually like way darker and edgier than we all think no it's not really but it has it just has just enough elements of of darkness in there to uh to make it feel like a full i don't know it feels like an anime it feels it just feels like um the right tone for the adventure it's the Dragon Ball Z to the original Sonic's Dragon Ball. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I like that it swings for the fences, even though it's kind of goofy and I don't like the story too much overall. You, something you said just made me think of something here. His name is Professor Gerald Robotnik, right? So he was actually a professor or something. Do we think he taught at some school? Are there people out there who are like, hey, remember Professor G. Okem back in the day? <laughs> Did you see what happened to him on the moon? <laughs> I mean, he wasn't on the moon. He was on the Ark, which was like, you know, it was it was moon-esque. It was its own moon, though. It wasn't in the moon. I appreciate that Gunn, who assassinates him, who kills him, executes him, they're kind enough to leave his scrawlings on his cell for the next 50 years so that Sonic and Amy can see them in present day. That's very kind of them. Also, they shoot him in his cell. Yeah, they shoot him in his cell after they have him make a video. It's pretty over the top. They shoot him in his cell and they let him record a last message, which he somehow uploads somewhere. Right. Even though, I don't know, it's confusing. But he gave them a Dropbox password. <laughs> <laughs> they even give him like a last check too, which I always found pretty amusing. They're like, anything else? No. Like his last Could I get a last cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that was that was the most confusing part about the story so they've recorded him making these threats and uh no point did we think maybe we should look into this maybe we should <laughs> look into yeah because he like specifically describes what's going to happen right like he's like my sp- the, he, he says it's like well i'm gonna get my vengeance and like you know this is gonna happen with the arc and everything and and then they're like eh, he's probably just making that up yeah, we've already been to the Ark. We already killed all the uh, little girls about it. Uh, aboard it. Uh, <laughs> we left the big lizard there, though. Yeah, it should be <laughs> we fine. Secured... It should be fine. <laughs> we really was really important that we secure the dangerous experiment on the Ark, except we just left it there <laughs> in space. <laughs> That's because Gunn had to do the whole cannon's core mission, and they just they got frustrated halfway through it. They're like, "This is this is too much. Forget about it." I mean, bless them. They did. They did their best, and they're also writing this story around like the levels, which I feel like is especially noticeable in the dark campaign. By the way, the characters are just constantly having to like teleport all over the place to be, <laughs> especially Shadow. It's like it's very funny because you know you think of this as like the big Sonic and Shadow like rivalry type game, but they basically barely interact, and like. In order to like facilitate Shadow having his four playable levels and the locations that they are, he's just basically constantly running around in the game, being teleported here and there to random locations for no describable reason. Like especially when he's in like Skyrail, like he's just there. I don't know why he's there. He was on the Ark and then he had to leave to go to Skyrail to do nothing and then come back up to the Ark again. <laughs> I think Skyrail in particular, like that, does seem 
like quite tacked on and in all the early screenshots it had sonic in skyrail and the music itself is the sonic rock music rather than the like shadow electro music so yeah i think we've talked about this before off of the podcast but like the pet theory that i have and i assume a lot of people probably do is that Radical Highway and Skyrail were conceived as Sonic levels and they got moved to the Shadow campaign and then White Jungle and whatever Shadow's Arc level is, I can't remember what it's called, are ones that they made for Shadow reusing assets from the Sonic levels to give him his four stages. Yeah, which is where I, I, as I mentioned earlier, like I kind of wish it was just Sonic Knuckles and Eggman uh, playable because it would be so cool to follow up on city escape with radical highway, which is kind of how it seems like it's supposed to, you get San Francisco during the day, then you're surrounded by the police, then it's nighttime and you're escaping from the police. That would be a cool uh-huh. one, two punch uh, of a starting stage. Uh, but it's not the case. That was a really weird thing. So in the hero story, you've got city escape and then the, the boss, you know, the gun boss on the dark story, you've got, Radical Highway, and then you've got the same cutscene with Sonic meeting Shadow, and that's at night time. So it makes yeah. sense in the dark story. In the hero story, it's gone from like noon to midnight, just yeah. like from the end of a level. So it does look like something was amiss there. What you really don't want to think about is that the reason that they capture Sonic is because he stole the Chaos Emerald from the bank, which is what Shadow did. But then in Radical Highway, the police are hunting Shadow after he stole the Chaos Emerald from the bank, and it's nighttime. So, like, not only does it seem like maybe Sonic has to have been arrested before the crime took place, but also they're still actively chasing Shadow after they have already arrested Sonic. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> you have to. I mean, it, it, the story is fun in the in the big view of it, the abstract. You have to like ignore all of the details to be able to be like, ah, oh, this is kind of a good yarn. Uh, it's just the feeling of epicness that the the music supplies, that the kind of like the, the fact that they're going to the moon and back, the president's involved, and of, and I mean, she gets overshadowed, huh? Uh, but uh, Rouge the Bat. Well, Rouge the Bat is sort of interesting to think about. Rouge the Bat is a character that, similar to Shadow, I was embarrassed about at first, uh, who I've now come to like quite a lot. I like that there's a spy critter character in her. I like that there's a uh, that there's a you know somebody that's kind of filling that like oh you don't know what side she's working on. I like her like screwball comedy antics with Knuckles. Yeah, she's a really good character, and she I think has been criminally ha- underutilized throughout the mm. whole series, except for maybe this game. Uh, the, the like bounty hunter type characters are always fun uh, just to like have in the mix, like somebody who's kind of in it for themselves and can switch sides and stuff. Yeah. Although I guess I'm not 100% sure on, yeah, I'm not really 100% sure on whether that's what her character actually is um, because isn't she like a government agent? She's like both the world's greatest jewel thief and also a, she's Catwoman, but she's a spy. Yeah, working for the president, is that right? The president of the yeah. direct report. United States just has <laughs> Rouge the Bat in his Rolodex. Which I love also. I love that at the time as well because this was before there was any idea of like two worlds. So it seemed like, oh, it's just a kind of world where humans and these anthropomorphic animals Abominations. Just kind of live, 
these abominations just kind of live side by side with humanity, like they live in the forest or whatever. But they're they're everything's all integrated, and uh, I don't know. Just, and, and there was no like explanation for it. That's what I think I like the most. It's just like, yeah, there's all these humans, and they're aware of Doctor Robotnik, and they're also aware of Sonic. Uh, and Rouge the Bat is an agent that reports to the human president. Like it, it was, it was like the right the right side of weird for me yeah i liked that it's like a lot of these other fictional universes the more they try to explain everything the less it holds up to scrutiny and it's just like unnecessary details sometimes being filled right in. because then otherwise it's like then you have to basically take like the sonic x version of events uh where it's like okay i guess they all transported here through rings and then they became part of this society and somehow then rouge got this job and yada yada uh I think I think V handles it quite smoothly in Sonic X with Rouge because she's like gotten there and she's been committing crimes and stuff, and then they're like, "Okay, look, we'll overlook this stuff if you do some jobs for us." So yeah, yeah they, they actually like showed how she ended up on like the president's yeah. payroll or whatever. Classic criminal trope, yeah. Yeah, she's a fun character in that setting, um, in the world of like spies and government intrigue and whatnot. It's it's weird and out of place when you see her in, let's say, Sonic Generations, and she's hanging out in a park with all of Sonic's other friends. Much like the the story, uh, there's a lot of like conceptual weirdness about like thinking too hard about what Rouge is actually trying to do over the course of the game, because like we know, so supposedly she's working for the president to like research, uh, you know, what's going on with shadow, but like her primary gameplay objective most of the time is collecting master emerald shards, which are not for anything. <laughs> yeah. That's not the mission. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's not the mission. And it's also not something that ingratiates her with Eggman and shadow either. It's like basically completely unrelated to their agenda and then like i don't know if the government was like try and stop these people from firing the cannon she like definitely makes zero attempts to do that even though she's like on the ship <laughs> like she could stop them from getting the chaos emeralds or like sabotage the cannon or anything but all she just she see it seems like all she's doing is trying to figure out who shadow is yeah uh and anything else is fine here's a hot take maybe maybe knuckles shouldn't have been in the game mm. Maybe it should have just been Sonic, Rouge, Eggman as the playable characters. Because the Master Emeralds, yeah, they, tr they sort of bring it into the story at the end, but then there there's other ways they could have resolved the plot point of, oh, we've got to stop the Chaos Emeralds. And it didn't even matter anyway, because then the Bio-Lizard was controlling the arc anyway. So it feels like you didn't need Knuckles or the Master Emerald in the story. It was a bit tacked on. That's a good point. It would have made it would have done wonders too for making Knuckles still seem kind of mysterious and not as overplayed as he is now. Also, right. given more more of a chance for Shadow to shine, uh, and yeah, I could get behind that. Sonic Rouge and Eggman as the as the playable characters. Yeah, I think that's the problem, right? With the cast of this whole series, is the more airtime they get, so to speak, the less intriguing or interesting they potentially become because they're not putting in the work to make their motivations and uh, conflicts interesting overall. So like with Rouge, like we were just saying, right, she ended up just joining the background vanilla cast where she's pretty much exchangeable, interchangeable with everybody else, even though she's a much more interesting character in this game. 
Yeah, we've talked about this before too, right? How it's like each character gets like one storyline, and then after that storyline, they they just get discarded and tossed into the ensemble. Yeah, it's. I think the characters they all need to feel like they've got their own lives separate from just being wherever Sonic is. That's okay for yeah. Tails because he's the Robin, so Sonic's Batman. He's the sidekick. That's fine. But like Knuckles should only get involved when the story concerns Knuckles. You know, Rouge should only get involved when it's government spy stuff. Yeah. It should make sense for which characters are in the game. Yeah. Yeah, the character motivations are definitely not a strong suit in the Sonic storytelling. I don't think it's a priority. Yeah. You know, like, uh, it's weird because a lot of times it feels like at least some of these games almost are being conceptualized like story first and in that like uh, like say like something like sonic forces like it feels like a lot of the hook of that game was like you know what if eggman took over 99 percent of the world what if like all the villains teamed up like that's not a gameplay idea right like that's a story idea. right but then like the actual execution of that story over the course of like the levels in the game just feels like they knew that was the, the theme of the game and the base idea, but then they still just kind of like wrote whatever to like tie the levels together and and yeah. not you know worry too much about like the overarching. Yeah, it's clear that they're not spending time to make anything internally consistent, or even if they are even thinking about it or considering it at all. Their the ultimate conclusion is just like, well, we gotta do this for the game, so whatever. So I believe the writer of Sonic Adventure Two did say that this game was done story first and the levels were built around a story. That's bizarre. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very strange. He said that wasn't done with Sonic Heroes, and you can tell with Sonic Heroes because it's just your platform game levels. It's your Sonic-type levels. But you can see it You can see it a bit more with Sonic Adventure 2, and I think that led to a blander set of levels. So in Sonic Adventure 1, you had 11 action stages, and they were all colorful and unique and interesting. And Sonic Adventure 2, ostensibly, you've got around 30 stages, but you see a lot of repeats. You've got your green forest and your white jungle. Yeah, it's. I, I, there's been times where I've tried to like break down how many level themes there are in that game, and it gets tricky because there's a lot of uh, places where you know it's it's not clear whether you should count themes as being separate from each other or not because like I mean like. City Escape and Radical Highway look completely different from one another, but like the Tails stage, you know, blends elements of both of them together. Yeah. So I don't know if you like count that as one theme or not. And there's some similar stuff with some of the kind of like more like uh, natural and rural environments that like Rouge and Knuckles go into, where it's like, do you, you know, do they count these? Are these ruins the same as that? Is like Pumpkin Hill the same theme as Sky Rail or whatever? But like, mm -hmm. uh, it, it does feel like, you know, they're still around the same number of level themes. As in the previous game, but they're a lot less surreal. They're a lot more, you know, grounded feeling and just like tonally. Which is disappointing because Pumpkin Hill is one of the standouts in any of those kind of weird goofy. But even things. then, it, it, it's just Sky Rail with pumpkins. <laughs> like, I mean, it, does, it doesn't take much. It's just that they mostly choose to not push the levels like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, they don't want to add that one thing that makes them weirder. I think it's a huge shame that Pumpkin Hill wasn't a Sonic or Shadow level, because it did. It, it was more fun when it was at night, and you had the pumpkins, and you had the ghosts, and you had the little train, and all the other flourishes. And mm -hmm. the the actual Skyrail level is just very 
like barren comparatively. Yeah, I don't I don't like that level very much. The Skyrail one. Pumpkin Hill stands out for me as well for being uh, one of my favorite of the Knuckles raps. So one thing we haven't talked about yet is the, mm-hmm. the music of the game, which felt to me like a also another improvement over Sonic Adventure 1, which also had a great soundtrack. Uh, but this time it's like each Knuckles stage has its own custom raps. Uh, the Rouge stages have their unique flourish. Um, you got Metal Harbor. We talked about City Escape and that you live and learn. Yeah, the whole soundtrack is extremely good. I find it hard to pick one over the other when comparing Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, but I love both of those soundtracks pretty much equally. I, th- I think I'd favor Sonic Adventure 1, um, but, you know, that's that's not Sonic Adventure 2's fault. They're both very mm-hmm. strong. I think I'd just prefer... <laughs> I don't know. I think Sonic Adventure 1, maybe it's because I am associating the music with all these different levels, whereas Sonic Adventure 2, I'm a bit more like, yeah, that's the brown one, that's the green one, that's the other green one. <laughs> It's definitely a factor for sure. The decision to like tie musical styles to each character is like, I, I think it's like an interesting one, but it does ultimately mean there's not quite as much like variety from stage to stage. Like when every Sonic level is a rock song and every like Tails level is sort of like weird electro pop thing and every, you know, Rouge level is smooth jazz. Like you don't get a weird song like Red Mountain or something where it doesn't sound anything like you know it's like where it feels like the style of music was picked like for the level more than the character mm-hmm. yeah it's still good though we mentioned we mentioned grinding earlier but i don't think we really got into depth with it and that's one of the key features introduced in sonic adventure 2 that for some reason ended up becoming a staple of the series like how did yeah. we how did we feel about grinding big sam you were saying you didn't like skyrail and i'm guessing a lot of that is because it's so rail-based and so bottomless pits-heavy. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I guess you really got to hand it to Jet Set Radio because, like, grinding wound up, like, not just in Sonic. It's, like, been transplanted into, like, almost every 3D platformer. Like, I played uh, both the new Ratchet and & Clank and Crash 4 recently, and they both have, like, these rail-grinding sequences that are very, like, similar to one another, and it really reminded me, like, right, we got the idea to put rail grinding in platformers and then slowly every like possible permutation of it was whittled away until rail grinding in all platformers is exactly the same. It's like you're on a rail and then sometimes you have to jump to the other rail. Maybe sometimes you have to flip to the bottom of the rail or whatever, but like uh, you get like these very, you know, formulaic uh, ways of doing them that just feels very similar, like from game to game. Like it's just, this is part of the platformer archetype. This is what we do when we want to have a platforming challenge that forces you to move like an endless runner. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, uh, I think it's just in Sonic Adventure 2, um, it's just really fussy. Yeah. And like, I'm sure there's some people who appreciate that it's like harder and requires like more skill to pull off well. But like, it's hard to land on the rails. There's not a lot of lock on. And the ability to like tilt while you're sitting on the rails from one side to the other uh, is like very pronounced. So there's, uh, you know, a lot of times where you land on the rail, but like you don't have any momentum and there's no way to gain momentum. And it's very easy to like fall off one side or the other side. And so I just find a level like Skyrail to be like incredibly fussy because it's just like every time you're jumping to like land on another rail or like switch between rails, you're like, is this going to work? Or am I just going to lunge into the abyss? You know, like, or, or, you know, if I am jumping here and I need to use a homing attack to push myself ahead to land on a rail, am I going to 
aim correctly or is the camera going to turn and I'm not going to be able to line myself up. Um, but, you know, like I got chalk up a lot of that to just being like, you know, this was the first time that they had done it and, and they were still kind of like figuring it out. And I feel like even in later Sonic games, I don't have like a problem with how the rail grinding is handled, certainly in like, I don't know, Unleashed or whatever. I think the rails are fine, but I find them very frustrating in Adventure 2. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it was way too finicky in Sonic Adventure 2. And like you were saying, Sam, even though that the grinding feature has become kind of ubiquitous and maybe homogeneous across a bunch of different games now, I appreciate it a lot more in its current form in that it's actually usable and it behaves in a way you would expect unlike Sonic Adventure 2 where it feels almost like a cross between like a skater game in some ways where they were trying to do the kind of Tony Hawk balance mechanics and stuff like that but then not committing all the way and just making something that feels really uh, frustrating to engage with I mean, bless them. They, they try and make it physics-y, which is, you know, the thing that we always say we want when, like, the 3D games is to have more physics. So it's like it matters, like, what speed and angle you were going before you hit the rail, like, whether you're going to keep going. Um, but, you know, even Jet Set Radio Future, they were like, okay, well, the first thing we're going to add is a button that allows you to speed up when you're on a rail so that you're not, like, mm-hmm. doing the thing where you're, like, coming to a halt on a rail and you don't want to fall off. Yep. Yeah, so the newer games, they're so much more user-friendly with the rails, mm-hmm. or it does feel, like you said, Sam, just like a bit of an endless runner. It's You're just pressing the L and R trigger, triggers or, you know, tilting the control stick just to go from one rail to another, and there's no, like, real sense of full control or variability on it, whereas Sonic Adventure mm-hmm. 2, you could tilt and you could crouch and get a bit of speed that way but it was too fussy and finicky i wish there was a sweet spot that they could try and hit um but i think maybe the bigger issue with it is in a skating game the fun part of rails is it's something it's something that's there but if you fuck it up you just land on ground Whereas in the Sonic games, they're always wanting to put the rails over bottomless pits. So I think that was the, it was a lot more fun in City Escape, where you can run down the stairs or you can grind down the rail. Yeah, mm-hmm. I find both Final Rush and Final Chase to be very tedious. The uh, the final stages for Sonic and Shadow in space, where it's all grinding down the rails, kind of for that exact reason. But you know, in replaying Sonic Generations, I sort of like the rails. I guess I like them when it's when you do have the boost button and you can kind of just use them, like you're saying. Uh, but the yeah, the finickiness, the and the bottomless pits, which I feel like, just off the top of my head, I feel like there's way more bottomless pits here in Adventure Two maybe for that exact reason than there was in adventure one. And that's another point where it feels like this is kind of the beginning of that modern Sonic. Like it doesn't yet have the boost button. Got to wait till unleashed for that. But like a lot of the other elements that they're going to keep building on for the next decade uh, is, is coming from this adventure two gameplay more so than adventure one. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we're already at an hour and a half, so I don't want to get too deep into this other topic here, but we spent a lot of time talking about Sonic and the Knuckles stages here, but there's a third pillar of gameplay in this game with the Tails and Eggman shooting stages, and how do we feel about that? I think they're pretty bad in this game, and I honestly think that entire form of gameplay might have been better served as either like a third-person shooter with twin sticks or a top-down kind of like twin-stick shooter, like something like Geometry Wars almost. Yeah. Couldn't do twin sticks on the Dreamcast, though. That's true. No, that's true. I think the shooting stages 
like aside from like by personal disappointment that they don't have that mechanic of needing to keep the timer refilled to stay alive like uh, E-102 does. I think the biggest problem with the shooting stages is like the like democratic decision to make each campaign uh, like or each style of gameplay have a full set of levels just reveals that they don't have enough ideas to fill out a whole game worth of shooting stages. Mm -hmm. Like the knuckles and roost stages, you know, they keep getting bigger and weirder and like, maybe that makes them more annoying, but it does like make them all very distinct. But like, man, by the time you're playing that dark campaign and you're doing like the Eggman shooting stages, it just feels like you never see anything that you haven't already seen in like the tales versions of the stages, which were maybe already not tremendously exciting. Yeah. It's just like, it's like you combo the enemy that's got like the eight things around him, and you got the doors with the four locks that you got to shoot. And, and it's just like ad nauseum over and over and over again, like walking along these rectangular platforms. There's two fewer stages in the dark campaign than the hero stage, than the hero version, but it doesn't feel like it. Because those Eggman mm-hmm. shooting stages are so tedious and so long. And also, again, with like the sound effects that are grating, the like the lock on beep is another one that similarly kills me of just like I I want to hear the soundtrack. I want to beeping yeah. and screeching. And then the gameplay too, right, to play it effectively is just real annoying because what you end up doing is you keep like holding that button down and then spinning your stick like a madman and jumping or whatever, right? <laughs> it's not a very interesting gameplay to engage with. If it were its own game, do you think you'd get into it? Because I feel like it's no. just not the sort of thing that I like at all. Like it's just like I'm wondering if it's like if they reskinned that as like a Panzer Dragoon kind of thing, where like would would it then become maybe more palatable just on its own? I think it's flawed fundamentally as a shooter, like or shooting yeah. gallery type game. I think it needs a lot of systematic rework or rethinking of design to become something fun. I think, yeah. I think it was a mistake to make the shooting levels less Sonic-y than they were in Sonic Adventure mm-hmm. 1, to make the characters slower and chunkier and more robotic. And I can see why they did that. I'm sure they did that exactly to make all three gameplay styles as different as possible. Whereas in Sonic Adventure 1, it felt more like, what if Sonic had a gun? Yeah, I was about to say basically literally exactly the same thing. E-102, you know, he has treadmills, uh, so he can, like, roll around on the landscape, like, in levels that were originally built for Sonic. I'm not 100% confident about this, so I'm feeling a little... But I think it's true that everything in the Tails and Eggman levels are flat, right? Like, they can't walk up curved surfaces because of the way that their feet yeah. work. So, like, it's 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 just a constant like series of like straight flat corridors and hallways and then elevators and and uh those lifty things that you grab with your arms because it's the only way to like move up and down like you never like walk over like a rolling hill or anything i just feel like that's part of why those levels feel so homogenous i guess there's some curved stuff in radical in the like tails level that's on radical highway because the the roads are windy yeah mission street right Yeah, a lot of precision jumping. Oh, yeah. That's like the worst part of those levels. Well, there's a lot to talk about with this game, and I feel like we've we've at least scratched the surface. What do you guys think? Yeah. I was going to say, when I was playing through the hero campaign, I didn't hate the Tales levels. Like, you know, there's only four of them, and, and, uh, you know, each one's kind of a little different. And, like, they were definitely my least favorite, but, like, by the end of the game, I was like, this is all right. But then when you go to that uh, dark campaign, that's when I really learned to dislike them. 
<laughs> yeah, I would say so too. Um, okay, so I think we are at the part of the show where it's time for our last gasps. The last gasps is where we have our last uh, hot takes and last uh, parting shots and thoughts and feelings about the game and anything we've talked about. Or just in general. It doesn't have to be about Sonic Adventure 2. Josh, we, you've been a little quiet. What are you thinking about Sonic Adventure 2? Do you have any uh, last gasps that you've got on your mind? I think, I would argue, in fact, and I like arguing, I would argue that the Chow Garden is the most well thought out and had the most effort put into it part of the whole game. Just an extremely spicy take, I know. But um, that's probably where I spent most of my time. We were talking earlier on about replay value. And I think most of the replay came from grinding out those animals and drives for your, for your chow, you know? So that was a reason to go back again. And that also, what we ended up doing realistically was just Eggman levels over and over again. Uh, or tails ones over and over again, depending. Um, all right, so do you know what? I've no another hot take. I'm full of shit. Actually, they're just really annoying. The whole game's fucked, top to bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I started off pretty impartial about it, but it's like every time I talk about something from this game, I'm like, oh no, actually, wait, that was kind of annoying. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, it's no Sonic Robo Blast Two. I'll tell you that hot take. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to that one soon. We definitely are. I do think it's a good loop of it's such a high score driven game. You're five missions for every level and you're going there, you're trying to get an A and if you mess up, you only get a B. Well, at least you've got 10 chaos drives or animals and then you take them to the chow garden. I just wish there was a more efficient way of doing that rather than like having to, okay, stop go over there, load it up, go in, leave them. If you could just like bank all the, all the pickups. Yeah. Yeah. Only being able to carry 10 at a time. I think it's 10 yeah. at a time. And then it's like, Oh, I need green ones. Cause I'm making a speed one and you grab a yellow one by accident. And I'm like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Go, or if they'd given you a system where you could spend your rings on those kinds of items or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so the way it works in game is you can even just go into the level pick up 10 chaos drives, then quit out of it and still have them, but you're still limited to 10. I think it would have been better if it was you had to complete the level, but you had all of them, whether you picked up 25 or 40 or 11, and they all got banked immediately into the chow garden, and then you pull them out of your inventory there. Yeah, it would also be nice if there was a better system for feeding the chow instead of actually physically picking up an item and putting it in front of them. If there was like some more menu-driven way to do that, that would have been much, much nicer. In fact, yeah, everything, I like the chow system, but everything about actually engaging with it is kind of tedious as hell. Yeah, one also wishes that those those fields were like a bit bigger, like that there was more room for them to like run around and play. They were certainly capable of it, but they're very small little areas for the chow. Yeah. And it was always insane to me that if you jump too close to a chow, it hurts them. That's like so stupid, especially since Sonic's yeah. jump always attacks everything near it, right? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's because we had that parity between the chow, like your controls in the chow garden and your controls in game. So it just made it really like clumsy to actually do that. But all the more reason we need 
a Chow Garden version 3 in the new game. Hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So kind of what Josh was saying is how I feel about the game in general is like a lot, or Nathan was mentioning, we've all been mentioning it. The game's fairly tedious and annoying and kind of broken in, in a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways, but it's still and and on the replay, my opinion of it, unfortunately only went down. Like I, I, I definitely think of the two. I prefer Sonic adventure one for a lot of reasons. Uh, but still maybe just because it was that kind of like that final Sega hardware game. And maybe because it was the last one that I, that I felt like the story was able to have just a little bit of weight to it without feeling like it was getting buried underneath it. And yeah, it doesn't really make sense when you start to like analyze it. In fact, it makes no sense at all. Uh, there's just, it had a bit of mystery to it. A little bit of mystery goes a long way with, uh, Sonic stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's there in Sonic three and in Sonic and Knuckles, it's definitely there a bit in adventure and adventure two. And, I don't know. I just I just like that. And then, you know, it can fall under its own weight as it did in Shadow or in Sonic 06 or so on. But in the right dose, it feels really right for the franchise. So I am very mixed on the game, but I like it more than I dislike it. Uh huh. That's a fair assessment. My last gasp is kind of similar to yours, Grant, just like my conclusion on Sonic Adventure 2 and Sonic Adventure 2 Battle which are games that I have not revisited since their original releases. So it's been 20 something or uh, 20 years or so since I've last played those games. Uh, I think I look back on them with fond memories, but uh, they are again, the first time I was ever really disappointed in a Sonic franchise entry. And Ah, so you always remember your first time. Yeah. For that, (laughs) I will say my conclusion is Sonic adventure Two B, more like Sonic adventure Two C minus Oh, he's willing to go there. He's willing to go there. Hide your wives, hide your children. Um, He's not afraid to say what we're feeling. Okay, so my last gasp, the battle version on GameCube had a really fun multiplayer mode, like really quite robust two-player mode. And I wish the first Sonic Adventure had that two-player versus. It was a big selling point of Sonic 2 for me. And... I wish that kind of multiplayer was in all Sonic games. Yeah. It's surprising that it isn't. It, you know, other games, other games in the franchise sense have had multiplayer, but none quite as robust as uh, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. And again, given that just that was like an entry point for so many people, uh, you would just think it would be a little bit of a bigger priority. Plus, it just makes sense. It just makes sense for how the games play. Being able to play Generations... Like being able to play Generations Among Us would be fun to start a level, not in time attack, not your best score. That's the only way you're able to do it. But it's like just like Sonic 2 style. You start at the same time, you go through a level, online multiplayer. That would be great. Talk yeah, about replayability, that would, that would add a lot of it. We were talking earlier about how sometimes the characters are shoehorned into the game's story. But multiplayer solves that. It's in Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. You had Tikal, you had Chaos... You had Metal Sonic. They didn't need to be part of a story. They were just there as a fun thing for multiplayer. It's a good idea. Sam, do you have a last gasp? When I played through the Hero campaign, I felt like my opinion of it had elevated a little bit from how I remembered it. And then by the time I was done the the Dark campaign, I think it went back down to perhaps lower than it was before. So it might just be a game that has like a lot of fun ideas. But just for me personally, uh, there is too much of it. Yep. 
we made it. We made it to the whole end of the episode. Uh, Sam, now is the time to give us this episode uh, a ranking on a scale from E to S. How do you feel about uh, your time with us today? Maybe like a B, like it was pretty good, but I think I died at least once over the course of the podcast. (laughs) There's a number Uh, of bottomless pits to fall into. That's very fair. A B is very fair. We'll take it. Absolutely. Um, But next time. That does it for the show. Yeah. Next time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for talking some Sonic Adventures with us. You're welcome. It was fun. Check out Sam and Fuzzy also. The link is in the description. And uh, follow us and like us and do all that stuff. And keep hanging out with us. We, we like you. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're all right. Coming up in, uh, in next week's episode, Sonic Adventure 3. Sonic Adventure 3 confirmed. You heard it here. You heard it here first, Post guys. Post it on all yeah. the message boards. Tweet it out. Post it on Instagram, on the Tumblr. Sonic Adventure 3 confirmed.